Hello everyone. Welcome to our weekend service at Woodlands Church. We're so glad you're with us today. My name is Leanna and I'm on staff here at the church. If you're new to Woodlands, we'd like to thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. We'd love to connect and get to know you better and share some of the things that Woodlands has to offer. Just click the Get Connected button on the front of our website or in our app and then fill out the form so we can get in touch with you. Our annual congregational meeting will take place on Thursday, July 30th at 6.30 p.m. in the gym. That should give us plenty of space for social distancing. If you want to know what's ahead for Woodlands Church, plan to attend because everyone is invited. Thanks again for worshiping with us today. I'll pass it over to Steve and his team as they lead us in worship. Hey, Woodlands Church, we are so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning, this evening, whenever you're watching with us, wherever you're watching. Uh, in Psalms, the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And it's so important for us to just continue to remind our hearts uh, of our desperate need to build our lives upon who our God is and the sure foundation that is his promises and his faithfulness. And so as we worship, we want to begin by singing about that. So wherever you are, we invite you to join us today. Breathe. We live for you. 
Let's start it again. That's all good. We're going to start that one again. So we got to give a little, like, probably five seconds of space so they can fade into it.
Father God, we thank you for the great reminder of who you are again, of what you've accomplished. God, that you have liberated us from the penalty of sin. God, that if we put our hope and trust in you, we can be seen as holy and righteous in your sight. Lord, we want to build our life upon that because you are holy. You call us to set you apart as holy as God and as King. And so we do that today. We do that this morning. We love you. We worship you. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Woodlands, thanks for being part of our weekend worship service. Before we uh, dive into the word this morning or this afternoon or whenever you're watching, uh, I'd like to just ask your uh, help with something. So uh, we've been trying to communicate with you ever since this pandemic kind of broke. And one of the things that we've done around here is a little thing we call video updates that happened on Monday and Thursday. I want to ask for you to give us, to give me usually, but to give us 10 minutes of your time every week. We're going to take those video updates and reduce them to just once a week. They'll be on Thursday afternoon, but there are a lot of changes coming in the fall. And so we're going to use that 10-minute window, no more than 10 minutes, I promise, to just update you. So would you make it a regular habit on Thursday to watch that video update? I would really appreciate it. We would really appreciate it. So thanks. Let me pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word together. Lord, thanks for uh, this chance to study your Word. I pray that as we look into uh, the Word this morning, I pray that you would teach us and instruct us. Give us a will to respond, a heart to obey, and uh, Show us what you would have each one of us individually to do with the message we hear this morning. In your name, amen. Well, we are in this series around here called Encouragement When Life Gets Hard. It's a study in 1 Peter. And as we saw two weeks ago when I uh, last talked, uh, one of the things that the book of 1 Peter does is it encourages us to go back to basics, back to priorities, back to the essentials when life gets hard, to not get distracted with all the stuff, all the chaos that's going on and pulled away from what's really important in life. And so First Peter deals with probably the most, or not probably, definitely the most human, significant human relationship we, that we have if we're married, and that's our marriage. So this morning we're going we're to look at uh, marriage part two or marriage investments part two. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of this talk and we saw the big idea that there are five different investments that we can make in our marriages, two for women and three for men that will help make our marriages all that God intended them to be. I'm going to read the passage of scripture for us again, just to set us back in the text and then we'll carry on from there. First Peter chapter three, follow along in your Bibles. I'm reading from the New American Standard. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands as, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, 
but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In this way, in former times, the women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. As I said two weeks ago, I know that uh, this text raises lots of questions. We already addressed a lot of the questions in verses 1 through 6, and we'll address uh, a big question in verse 7 as we go along this morning. But the big picture that we looked at last week is this, this text, or two weeks ago, this text highlights the fact that there are different roles in marriage, that men and women are equal in, in value and worth and dignity and importance in the eyes of God in, in every realm of life, but that in the marriage relationship as God has designed it, there are different roles. We saw that the role of the woman is best summarized perhaps by the phrase supportive partner. And the role of the husband is best summarized by the phrase servant leader. Two weeks ago, we looked at those two investments that you women can make in your marriage, and I'm not going to review those, but this morning, we're going to look for you guys at the three investments that we get to make in our marriages to make them all that God intended them to be. So let's dive right in. First investment is to understand your wife or to understand her, if you're taking notes uh, today. So the text puts it this way in verse 7. It says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Not quite the best translation because what that could sound like to our ears is that we, the text is calling on us to be understanding. And the way we use that phrase, we tend to think it means be sensitive to our wives. And though that's a good thing and to be understanding is a good thing, Literally what the text says is live with your wives according to knowledge. Guys, what this text is calling us to do is it's calling us to understand our wives, to understand marriage as God designed it, to live according to knowledge or wisdom. It's calling on us to make the investment to learn about our wives, to learn about women in general, to learn about marriage in general, so that we can be the kind of servant leaders that God has called us to be. To make the investment, to understand, to learn, to know really well your wife, to be, to be a student of your wife. Guys, we're to be students of our wives. So what does that mean in practice? What are we to know when it says live with your wives according to knowledge or according to wisdom? Well, I think uh, there are three things really that we should focus on knowing. First of all, uh, in a general sense, I think it means that we're to understand the God-given differences between men and women. I know that in our culture sometimes that's not always a popular thing to say, but uh, both the Bible and biology and human history tell us that there are clearly some recognizable differences that are even written into our genetics in uh, describing the differences of men and women. And they play out dramatically in marriage. 
we look at things differently. We respond to things differently between men and women. And a lot of good marriage books have been written about the differences that men and women each bring to marriage. So we need to be students of that, guys. We need to understand those broad general differences. There are going to be variations, of course, with our own wives. But generally speaking, we need to be a student of that. If we're going to live with our wives according to knowledge, we need to understand those broad differences. And they are dramatic in the way that they can play out in marriage in many ways. The second thing I think this text means when it says live with your wife according to knowledge, it's a call for us guys to understand our wives, to understand and to learn about and have wisdom about them, the woman that God has brought to us, to know their strengths, their weaknesses, their likes, their dislikes, their love language. You know those books that have been written about how uh, we have different love languages in marriage, different ways that we communicate and receive love. We need to understand what is it that communicates love to our wives? What can we do, guys, is, is one of the things we should understand, so that our, wife, our wives feel loved. That old, uh, that old adage that says, look, you can communicate love to someone. You think you're communicating it, but if they don't receive it, the message has been lost. And so we need to understand their love languages. We need to understand their needs. We need to understand their triggers. They're sort of a marital word. What is it that will trigger our wives, both in a good way and in a bad way? Perhaps in a bad way in particular, we need to understand what are the things that are going to stir up anger, stir up dissension, stir up separation. We need to be careful to make sure that we understand that so that we don't create conflict in our marriage. We need to understand the convictions and the values of our wives. Our wives bring to our marriages, they bring certain convictions and values, things that are deeply important to them. We all have things that are this important to us and then things that are not that important to us. We all have that. Guys, this text is calling on us when it says, live with your wives according to knowledge. Understand her. We need to understand those values, what's really important to her, and pay attention to those things. So that's the second thing we need to understand. First, the differences in general between men and women. Second, we need to understand our unique wives that God has given to us. But thirdly, we also need to understand, to live according to knowledge, about how the interface of these two roles plays out in marriage. What does it mean, what should it look like according to God's design for a man who is called on by God to be a servant leader in his marriage, to come together with his wife who is called on to be a supportive partner, what does that look like to put those two together? Where are going to be the tension points? Where's the differentiation of roles? Where are our roles the same in marriage? Where are they different? How do they interface? We need to be a student of that. It's very important. Marriage will work much better if we understand those things. One of my favorite books about being a guy, uh, guys, is this book, Tender Warrior, written by Stu Weber. It's a little bit of an older book at this point. But he just has some great stories in there about how he learned to live with his wife according to knowledge. And I'm going to tell you one of the stories. This comes out of a time when he and his wife took a trip to uh, Israel. And uh, he describes this one particular day when they were in Israel. That was a very jam-packed day. 
And as they got up and were ready to start that day, he knew that the schedule was full. There was a lot to accomplish. They had to check off the boxes, get on the buses, travel from one site to another. There was a lot to see. So his thought was, we're going to conquer this day. We guys often kind of think that. We're going to plow through this day, get to the end, say, we did it. We finished it. So he was thinking about conquering a very busy day, making it work. And she, on the other hand, was thinking about savoring the day. Because they were going to lots of exquisite shops. They were going to see ancient historic sites that were rich in meaning. And she wanted to savor the moments. And so as the day played out, the difference between conquering and savoring led to a lot of tension, quite frankly, as it often does when those differences emerge in marriage. And at the end of the day, he was thinking, Stu Weber was thinking, hey, we did it. We conquered the day. We got to the end of the day. We're we're here. She wasn't thinking of things quite that same way. I'll let him put it in his own words. He said, hey, we got through it. We did it. We checked off the list. We conquered. It was over, or so I thought. Evening shadows have a way of following the heat of the day, and just as big rocks on the sun-splashed hillside soak up the daylight warmth and radiate its heat under the stars, so the events of a day tend to color what transpires after sunset, especially if you happen to be a woman. That night we were staying in Galilee. Linda and I walked along that ancient shore as stars began to speckle the gathering darkness. We sat together on a large flat rock and took in the magnificence of the moment. The Milky Way swept across the dark night sky. The water lapped gently at our feet. What a, what a scene. The setting felt pretty romantic. So did the man. I put my arm on her shoulder, pulling her gently toward me, and she seemed, well, a little unyielding. I whispered in her ear, Honey, I really love you. And she said, Oh, really? Uh oh. This isn't shaping up to be the evening I had in mind. She added, It takes work to love me, you know. There went that moment. Like air out of a balloon, the magic was gone. What had happened earlier that day was ancient history to me, but not to Linda. Men and women are different. And Linda was right. Loving someone different is hard work. What Stu Weber was saying is he learned that to love your wife, you have to understand her. You have to understand how a day like that or any other day is going to impact her, affect her. How your interaction with her as you walk through that kind of day is going to impact her and uh, what that means for your marriage. So we need to understand our wives, guys. So how do we do that? What are some tools for doing that? We guys like tools, so I'm going to give you four tools. And they spell out the word tall. So if you want to stand tall in your marriage, guys, four tools to understand your wives. First one is time. To understand your wife, you have to just make sure that you're scheduling that, that regular time with your wife. We need to be able to be in conversation, engaging with our wives. And so the first thing is time. We can't rush through life and just expect that our marriage is going to survive and thrive if we don't invest the time it needs it. Second is the A. Ask good questions, guys. 
If we want to understand our wives, we need to ask those good questions when we have conversational moments. Learn to ask questions that are related not just to information, but emotions and feelings. And how was this day for you? And what are you thinking? And what are you feeling? And, and why is this important to you? Or why is that not important to you? Or how did what I do there affect you? And help me understand. Use that language of asking good questions. So time, ask good questions, and then, of course, when the answers come from your wives, listen. Learn that ancient, biblically uh, encouraged skill of being a good listener to your wives. And then finally, learn. So tall. Time, ask questions, listen, and then learn. Learn about marriage guys keep reading keep talking to other guys about their own marriage as you interact with other men hey how did you handle this in marriage uh, take classes as they come up if we're going to obey first peter chapter 3 verse 7 which says husbands this is a command live with your wives according to knowledge we're going to need to pick up these tools of time and asking good questions and listening well and then learning that's the first investment that we need to make. The second investment that we need to make in our marriage, guys, is to honor her. And again, this is going to come right out of the text. Let's look at the end of verse 7 where it says this. Show your wife honor or show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. We need to honor our wives I really love this phrase there's a couple phrases in the Bible some that come out of Ephesians 5 another marriage passage and this one I, this is one of those key phrases for me that just been so definitional in my mind about understanding God's design for marriage show her honor as a co-heir of the grace of life I said two weeks ago that it's hard for us in this culture and in this day to realize how much the Bible elevated the worth and the dignity and the value of women. This is a very male-driven culture. And so for the Bible to use this phrase and the rest of the Bible to use other phrases like it that says, honor your wives, guys, as a co-heir of the grace of life is a powerful statement for us that of the equality and the equal value and dignity of our wives and how we are to treat them. So what does it mean then to honor our wives? Let's get real practical again. Let's put some, uh, some feet to this. So I think there are four things that uh, help us understand what it means to honor our wives as co-heirs of the grace of life. First of all, it means that we guys, we need to understand and believe and embrace and then communicate to our wives that we believe and that we understand and that we embrace that our wives are of equal value, dignity, and worth in the eyes of God. That we understand Galatians 3 that says, uh, in the eyes of God, in Jesus Christ, there are neither male, there's neither male nor female. We are all on the same footing before God. And so we need to understand that to honor our wives as a co-heir of the grace of life is to have that as a conviction in our souls. A deep abiding conviction. Second of all, it means practically that we need to understand that the fact that the text says she is a co-heir of the grace of life. A full partnership. A full partner in the gospel. 
means that we understand, guys, and we believe deep in our soul that God speaks to our wives just as much as he speaks to us. He speaks to our wives about what's best for our marriage, about what's best for our family, about what's best for our lives together just as much to her as he does to us. So to honor her as a co-heir of the grace of life is to recognize this truth that if you are a follower of Christ, guys, and Jesus Christ lives inside of you and you enjoy and depend on the strength of his spirit, you listen to and respond to the leadings and the promptings of his spirit, realize that he, has, he gives that same grace to your wife. She is a co-heir of the grace of life. He gives her promptings and leadings. He speaks to her from his word. He's not always going to speak just to you, but he's going to speak to your wife as well. And so to honor her is to recognize that, which kind of leads to the third way we kind of play this out in marriage. It means that, guys, if we're going to honor our wives as co-heirs of the grace of life, it means that we get the org chart right. You know, we've all seen org charts of how businesses and organizations work. And, you know, usually there's someone at the top and then they break it down and it gets wider and wider as, the, as there's lesser and lesser authority. You might think that, you know, that the org chart for a family is, you know, God, husband, wife, children, that it's linear. And that's not right. It's more like a triangle. God's at the top. Husband's over here, wife's over here. Yes, he has leadership responsibilities, but God speaks to the wife. God speaks to the husband. They are co-heirs of the grace of life, and then they come together, that husband and wife, both led by God, to play out the beautiful marriage dance where we get to demonstrate to the world what it means for both husband and wife to be under the beautiful sacrificial lordship of Jesus Christ and what it means for both husband and wife to be submissive to and under that leadership of Christ. As husband and wife, we come together as he speaks to both of us and we learn that marriage dance together. And so guys, for us, it means we learn to honor our wives and get the org chart right. Fourth, fourthly, it means that we truly believe in our hearts that she is a supportive partner. Key word partner a co-heir of the grace of life boy if we just guys if we just hold on to that phrase about our marriage I think this one phrase in many ways will do more to help us get our role right in our marriage right in our minds is to remind ourselves that our wives are co-heirs of the grace of life so what does that mean in practice it means that to honor her means to honor her voice what, that her opinions matter to us, honor her wishes, honor her values. And the reality is if your marriage is working the way it should be working according to God's design, what that means over the course of time is that the longer you are married, there should be an ever-increasing pool of examples where you face a decision as a husband and a wife and it was the, sometimes it's the wife's thought that wins the day sometimes it's the husband's thought that wins the day because you're both listening to each other you're being a servant leader you're being a supportive partner but God is speaking to you both and so for us guys to honor our wives means to honor her in that way 
What's a tool that we can use in terms of learning how to honor our wives, guys? I'm going to give you just one word. It's the word influence. In practice, this key word helps us understand what honor, honoring your wives mean. Uh, my wife, Kathy, actually taught me this word. She's a counselor, does a lot of marriage counseling. And she said one of the things that, you know, uh, really makes a marriage strong, makes a partnership work well, is when both the husband and the wife allow the other one to influence them. Guys, we can't, for us to be servant leaders doesn't mean that we don't accept or listen to their influence. It means just the opposite. It means that we do accept and we do allow their, them to influence us. When Kathy first taught me that, uh, or told me about that or talked to me about that, I thought, boy, that's really important and it's kind of stuck with me. And there have been many times in the conversation where I know what I want to do in our marriage. I know about a decision. I have my opinion and my value. And this little phrase, the Spirit of God will bring to mind, uh, allow her to influence you. Allow her opinion to influence your thought about this. This is a great principle for leadership in general. You know, whether it's my leadership here at, at church or my leadership in my marriage, uh, you know, it's really easy. Any fool can issue commands. Any fool can say, this is what I think we should do and we're just going to do it and not listen to anybody. But good leaders, whether they're husband, servant leaders or leaders in organizations, good leaders allow those that they are leading to influence them. Leadership is influence. It's, yes, it's to those that are following, but it's also allowing influence to come up to you as a leader. The best leaders do that. And to honor our wives, guys, means to allow them to influence us in part. So that's the second investment, to honor her. <clears throat> the third investment is to serve her. Okay, so right now, uh, put your finger in the text. Look, kind of scan over verse 8. And we are Bible people, so you should be looking at verse 8 and say, well, I get understand her. The word understand is there. I get honor her. The word is there. But I don't get serve her because I don't see that word in the text. Good question. How do I pull serve out of this passage of Scripture? Well, let's, let's dig a little deeper and let me show you how I think that this text is teaching us to serve our wives. There are two things in, the, in verse 7 that to me indicate that. First one is where it begins. It says, husbands... In the same way, live with your wives according to knowledge. And what does that mean in the same way? Remember, this, this text on marriage is in a sequence. We saw a couple weeks ago that this sequence starts back in verse 12 of chapter 2. And it talks about how we live out our faith in day-to-day -day life. It says, be submissive to government. Be submissive uh, to... Uh, be submissive if you have a, a boss or a, a master over you in that culture. If you are a servant, wives be submissive to your husbands. We saw that essentially means be respectful. So he's, he's playing on these words. He doesn't repeat the word submission, but he says just as servants are to come under their masters, citizens are to come under their government, wives are to come under the good leadership of their husbands, husbands are to come under their wives. That's what the in the same way means. Because remember, our leader, Jesus, taught us that true leadership in his kingdom is servant leadership. It's where we come under those we serve and we serve, or, or those we lead, and we serve them. 
And so when he says husbands in the same way, he's saying use that same spirit of servanthood that I've been talking about, that respectful servanthood towards your wives. The second way I see this uh, brought out here in the text that we are to serve them is in the difficult phrase in the text. It says, live with your wives according to knowledge. And then it uses that phrase, which I know can sound offensive, but let's think about it in a minute, as someone weaker because she's a woman. So what does that mean? You know, you should never be afraid to dive deeply into the phrases, into the Bible. You should never be like, oh, this can't be right, or this is offensive in this culture. Well, what does it mean? So use your brain, use science, figure it out. Does it mean, could it possibly mean that the text is saying that women are uh, weaker intellectually? Of course not. Experience tells us that. Women are just as smart as men are. Does it mean that they are weaker emotionally? No, of course not. There are guys that are stronger emotionally and there are gals that are stronger emotionally. There are guys that will crack under pressure way before a, a woman will and vice versa. So there's no emotional strength versus males or females. There's differences in emotions, but one's not necessarily weaker. How about moral? Does it mean moral weakness? Does it mean that women are inherently morally inferior? Of course it doesn't mean that. So what does it mean? It means what even science teaches us, that we are, there's a physical weakness, that God designed women in such a way that we have guys, men, men are just physically stronger. Are there guys that are, or excuse me, are there women that are stronger than some men? Of course, but in general, you have to, we would all have to agree that in general, bone structure, muscle density, structure, those kinds of things, there's just a greater physical strength given to guys. And that, guys, points to our role. Why did God design us that way? Because our role in our families is to be the servant leader. The role of a leader is to protect, to defend, to provide, to lead, to be out front. And that often requires greater physical strength. But remember, protect, defend, provide, lead. Remember that that leadership is, as Jesus defined it, a servant leadership. We come under our wives. God gave us that greater strength physically so that we would lead, but that we'd lead the way he's taught us to lead. Not in a domineering, dominating kind of way, but in a servant way. Jesus made this so clear to us uh, in so many different ways. Remember he said when he was among us, he said, you know, the, the, the Gentiles and others, they, their leaders, they lorded over people. He said, it's not that way among you, my followers. He said, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all, and the leaders shall be the servants. And to give one stirring example of that, remember at the end of his physical time on earth, right before he was crucified, he washed the disciples' feet. This powerful scene. No leader in that culture would wash the feet of their followers, but Jesus did. And then to drive that point home, that leaders in the kingdom, leaders in Christian marriages, husbands are to be servants, he said this in John 13, verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, served you, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. 
So guys, we are to be servant leaders to our wives. One of my second other favorite passages of, uh, about marriage comes from Ephesians 5 and it describes this servant leadership of Jesus for his bride, the church. And here's what it says, giving us a model of how we are to lead our wives and love them. Verse 25 of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's servant leadership, laying down his life so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless before him. So you have this picture of Jesus laying down his life so that he could present back to God a pure and holy bride for whom he gave his life in sacrificial life-giving service. And this is our model, guys, to serve our wives, to serve our families in this way. It goes on to say, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. When we love someone, like we should love someone as we love our wives, we should nourish them, cherish them, serve them. This is the picture that scripture paints for us. So guys, the word from God to us this morning is learn to understand your wives, learn to honor your wives, learn to serve your wives. These are the investments that we make over time. Hey, well, I want to end this little two-week look at marriage. Uh, I want to end this little two-week look at marriage with a story. So this story comes out of the first pastorate I ever served in, in a little town called White River Junction, Vermont. And White River Junction is right on the junction of the Connecticut River that divides New Hampshire from Vermont and the White River, which pours into the Connecticut River. And I remember there was a couple... I was, you know, a pretty young pastor at the time and had only been in the ministry a couple of years. And there was a couple a lot older than I, were, uh, than I was at that time. And Charlie and Shirley were their names. And they, they both came from difficult backgrounds. They came to Christ a little bit later in life. They had previous marriages. God brought them together, brought them to faith together. It was kind of one of those really cool stories until it fell apart. And I have two pictures of Charlie and Shirley that are in my mind these 30-some, 35 years later. I still can picture this 40 years. I don't know how long it was. Uh, and one of them is a diner up on a hill over, looking over the White River in White River Junction, Vermont. Charlie and Shirley were separated. Their marriage had blown apart. I don't remember all the details, but I remember Charlie desperately wanted his marriage to stay together he still loved Shirley like he loved himself but he had been by his own admission a jerk in many ways and he had given Shirley lots of reasons to leave and she did and he realized a little too late that he wanted her back and I remember sitting in that little diner I didn't know what to do I was a young pastor I didn't have a lot of bullets in my marital gun but we would meet for breakfast I remember meeting for breakfast with Charlie several times sitting in this little diner looking out we we're right on the edge looking out over the white river up on this bluff and he's just crying he's just pouring out his heart and bawling and trying to you know and I I didn't have a lot of bullets in my gun I didn't know quite what to say 
And I'd only been married probably three years at the time. He's not exactly an expert on marriage. I'm still not an expert on marriage. And, uh, but I was, I prayed with Charlie. I prayed for their marriage. So that was one scene. But I honestly, in my heart, I thought this thing is over. Second scene, last scene I have embedded in my mind comes from the hospital room where our son Luke was when he was first born. And we're in there just enjoying our new son Luke and uh, that happy moment of a newborn. And we hear this knock at the door and all of a sudden uh, in walk Charlie and Shirley hand in hand. And this marriage that was in my mind irreparably broken and the only bullet in my gun that I had was I was praying like mad for them was all of a sudden before my eyes, there it was. And I just remember saying, what happened? And basically our response was, God just turned our hearts back toward each other. God healed our marriage. God brought us back in just a powerful way. I tell you that story because if you today are listening and your marriage isn't where it should be, you have more than one bullet in the gun to know what to do. You have six. The one that I had, which is to pray like mad for your marriage. But you also have five other bullets that we've looked at these two weeks. Wives, there are two things that you can do to make an investment in the health of your marriage. Guys, there are three things that you can do to make an investment in the health of your marriage. By God's grace, I encourage you to do them. Join me as we pray together. Father, thank you so much that you speak to us from your word. You give us clear guidance and teaching about how we are to live out those, this most fundamental relationship, our marriage relationship. And Father, we know as men and as women, we know that we are far from perfect. We know that sin presses in on our lives and that we are at our core selfish by nature. And that is what makes this relationship both beautiful and difficult. God, we want our marriages to be what you want them to be. So I pray, we pray together that you would infuse into our marriages the kind of grace, the kind of love, the kind of servanthood, the kind of partnership, the kind of respectfulness that will make our marriages what you intend them to be. Would you do that by your grace? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Woodlands, as we continue on in worship this morning, we're going to turn our attention now from God's word to the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. So Jesus taught us as his followers to remember the gospel, to remember his sacrifice on the cross by practicing this ceremony, which we've come to call the Lord's table or communion. I want to read a couple verses from 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, which sets the table, so to speak, for what this is about that we're about to do together. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says this, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There in your homes or wherever you're watching, we're going to take the Lord's table together. We're going to start with the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ. So Jesus broke this bread before them. He took a piece and he said, this broken bread represents my body broken for you. 
Do this to remember the sacrifice that I made on your behalf. So let's take it together. After the bread, Jesus took the cup, and according to 1 Corinthians, it says this, In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This cup of juice, in this case, or wine in the case of that table there, represents the shed blood of Christ for us. It represents the truth and the reality that Jesus' Jesus' blood shed on the cross is our only hope of redemption. But it is a sure hope of redemption. He reminded us to take this often so that we would put our trust fully and exclusively in his finished work on the cross. So let's take the cup together. Join me as I lead us in prayer. Jesus, as we have celebrated your table once again, as the church has done through the ages since you first taught us to do this, it is a reminder to us and a proclamation to the world that our hope is built on nothing less and nothing more, nothing other than what you did for us on the cross. Jesus, we put our hope exclusively and completely in what you did, not in our own merit, not in our own morality, not in our good works, but exclusively and fully in what you did for us. And we thank you in your name. Amen. It's been great to learn and grow together today. There's just a couple more things that I'd like to share with you. We're going to be holding an outdoor baptism service on August 30th at Bukult Park. If you'd like to take this next step in your faith, or if you have questions about baptism at Wood Woodlands, we encourage you to call the church or sign up in the app or on the website. Lastly, we understand that many of you aren't able to join us in person. For anyone who is new, we wanted to invite you to our outdoor services that happen Sundays at 8, 9.15, and 10.30 a.m. And that's all I have for today. May God bless you, and we'll see you next week.